I'm on that pod. I'm on that. Wish I had a pilot and a podcast. Wish I had a strong donkey that can haul ass and travel with portable speakers playing bars scats. Wish I had a million dollars. I wish I had a million albums. I wish I had a million problems. That way I couldn't pinpoint all one million outcomes. I wish I found a genie lamp. I wish them girls gave me them sugar like Beanie Man. Yeah. I wish I was a comedian. Late night sitcom syndicated on TV land. Wish this well had water in it. These kids are stealing all my pennies. Focused on my wealth. You can help me wish, but I would rather wish the help is like it's like I wish, I wish. And every time we love and it feels just like this. I wish, I wish. And every time we do it, it feels just like this. I wish, I wish. And every time we love and it feels just like this. It feels just like this. It feels Wish I had a time machine. Wish I had a better rhyming speed. Wish that I could speak to giants after climbing up a green stalk that grew from a lime bean. I wish that I could spread my wings. I wish that I had seven limbs. Yeah, that way I'd hold on to everything and laugh when I hear people wishing for the better things. I wish I spoke fluent Spanish. Dímelo, dímelo. At least I kinda understand it. <laughs> wish that I could throw the deuce like Gambit and get so large I could play pool with the planets. Yeah. I wish I was an astronaut. I wish I knew more classic rock. <laughs> Focused on myself. You can help me wish, but I would rather wish for help. It's like, it's like. I wish, I wish that every time we love it, it feels just like this. I wish, I wish. Every time we do it, it feels just like this. I wish, I wish. And every time we move, it feels just like this. Feels just like this. It's just, it's like, like who the donkey? We would turn some dumb shit into something that got everybody wild in our circumference. Cats and kittens, and welcome to another episode of the debrief. I am your host, Brianna Joy Gray, and I'm coming to you a little later than average. But hopefully there's people around. My apologies. I had a late evening uh, that went a little later than I uh, anticipated. An early, sorry, an early, an early dinner that went a little later than anticipated. But I figured I'd come in just to see if anyone was around this late in the evening. Of course, people can watch this later on at their own leisure. Glad to see that there still is a queue that is queuing. You guys, you guys will queue. I'll tell you what. You guys will queue, and I'm happy to take your questions. Allende, you're up first. What's on your mind this evening? Hi, Brianna. Um, can you hear me well? Allende, I see you're unmuted. Why can't I hear you? Hello? How about now? Oh, loud and clear. Loud okay. and clear. Okay. Um. So what's on my mind? I saw, so what I wanted to talk to you about was um, the other day I saw this interview with Marianne Williamson on ABC, mm -hmm. right? I think it was only like five minutes long. It might have been a lot, much longer, but it was the clip that I saw, right? Mm -hmm. And um, I, 
I was a little frustrated with how Mary Williamson answered a question on like student debt. And it was like, she had brought up like, what are her contrasts with Biden? Essentially, I'm forgetting the premise of the question or whatever, but like she had brought up like a contradiction that she, a contrast that she had with Biden on student debt and what she would have done differently on the issue. And she had said that she would have like the point the, the where she went with the question, she said that she would have um, canceled it all outright so that there wouldn't be this big objection in the courts, mm -hmm. right? And I felt like it was a missed opportunity because the like the way the way the interviewer went, I forget, I don't, I don't know the guy's name. The way the interviewer um, like rebuttaled was by saying, "Oh, that there's a Congress and things need to go, go through legislation." Yeah, these to go through Congress, yada yada, and there's like uh, rules to these things, right? And Marianne Williamson didn't have the the um, whichever act it is. Um, I'm sure you know it by heart. What's the what? What is the um, like the act or the law that you that the left most wants Biden to use in order to um, get student debt relief done? Well, they could have used the Higher Education Act. Um, the higher and instead, Act, they used exactly. the Heroes Act. I mean, I, I was pretty yeah, persuaded. She didn't bring that up. Yeah, I, w I was pretty persuaded by old girl um, whose name has escaped my head because I'm not going to lie, I had a couple cocktails. But who we had on with Judge Sugarman, um, I remember her last name is you, uh, who was explaining why she thought there was plenty of authority under the Higher Education, uh, sorry, under the Heroes Act as well. But regardless, the point is that he, that he had executive action to do, uh, executive authority to do it other, I, under either act, and that by just doing it outright immediately, he would have avoided the legal challenges. And it's just one of those kinds of things that's very difficult to put back in the bottle. So, Marianne, I mean, anybody has the opportunity to argue one of two things. One, that under whatever authority, doing it immediately makes it more possible to just enact the legislation and then it's on opponents to it to figure out how to put the genie back in the bottle and the alternative that if you were going to take a longer time and means test it and do all this stuff that at very least you should have used better legal authority to do so but like the point so all that is true right right everything you're saying is right but mm -hmm. at the same time what i'm my concern is i feel like at the very least right like i'm i'm going to vote for Marion williamson like in the primary yada yada like even mm -hmm. i live in new york it's not going to matter by the time it happens but like, I want her to win, right? But at the very least, as a consolation prize, what I want out of this campaign is just, like, a bunch of executive actions on Biden's part, right? And I feel like one of the ways that we can most make that a reality is that in, in any moment that we're, that Mary Williamson's given to draw contrast between her and Biden, being specific about what executive action she would do and under what under what um you know laws or whatever that she would do them she would use to do them and so that would i feel like that would in the very least spark some type of discussion amongst like elites of can this really be happened can this really be done this way yada yada and like at least it starts to be and it doesn't become this thing where oh it's the lefties want to do things that the president can't do again like you know what i mean when the president obviously has these has these powers yeah look if someone asked me you know if i were just designing a campaign in the lab if i worked for a campaign all those kinds of things and i if i wanted to articulate what i most wanted to get out of it i would say that the goal of the left is what i try to do on this podcast and it's what i would want to try to do in a political campaign would be to help liberals understand how much they've been lied to 
about the fact that Biden's Biden is not being limited by Congress, that he is making choices that Congress is covering for. It would be about explaining what rotating villain theory is. It's about explaining what could be done with executive authority. It would be contrasting how Biden has used his executive authority versus Donald Trump. It would be looking at the Supreme Court and the composition of it through the lens of how Republicans use the powers at their disposal to limit Obama's ability to replace justices, which were his kind of right to replace and how this kind of, there are choices in how to exploit administrative realities and that while Democrat uh, Republicans use them to advance their interests, Democrats use them to preserve the status quo. And that's why we end up with the status quo because both sides are basically adjusting to a mean, you know? And so to that end, I do think you have to be really tight on those points about what is actually possible and what isn't because the whole liberal gaslighting process, the whole infrastructure of liberal gaslighting is to say, Oh, well, Biden, you know, he would do better, but this is just pragmatically what he was able to do. And it's pragmatism and pragmatism and we're an adults and we're the adults in the room and blah, blah, blah. And you have to have really specific, cutting, accurate, pithy points to push back against that. Otherwise, you seem like the crazy leftist who's just dream casting and it's completely unrealistic. Yeah. I, I would say so too. And I mean, um, my last like point or second question thought or whatever, it, um, before I leave is I was also thinking about her second, her, the second part of the interview that was only like five minutes stuck out to me was her answer about like, you know, Biden if she loses the primary. Right. And that got me thinking about like the dirty break strategy. Right. And what would be the results of that? If it's like a third party, um, push or some other organizing effort. And to me, one line of attack that I feel like the left hasn't done, that I feel like the Democratic establishment has somewhat like recently, is drawing massive support for an individual, like for a state, right? A state's race um, for a Senate or a Georgia, right? Like it was a mass movement. Even people on the like the broad left, generally, even like some pure leftists, on getting um, Warnock elected and Ossoff elected, right? And in my eyes, it seems like a good way to spend like political capital, like in that scenario where the dirty break happening and um, there's this mass organizing effort, is to choose a state and have have socialists take over that state, right? Like all this funding that's going, like if Marianne Williams is able to get like some small dollar donation base, right? Direct that towards um, like, you know, basically taking over a state, like filling it with a bunch of socialists in, in, um, in a higher office and using it as a proof of concept for many socialist like ideas like healthcare, like there's not a single state in the, in, the, in the United States that has Medicare for all. That makes no sense. So I feel like, I don't know. Does that make sense to you? So the idea is that Marianne focused on winning just the one state and then getting a team of like down ballot folks that come in with her. Well, no, this would be, ap- this would be after her presidential race is, is over, right? You know, because the, the dirty break, the dirty break idea is not is not 
before and after she's done with trying to win the Democratic primary. This is a hypothetical where things go wrong, right? And she doesn't win the, win, win the primary. After that's done and she's created this um, massive campaign and like this organizing body to get her elected, what does she do with all of these people who are volunteering, yada, yada, and all these small dollar donations and these, this infrastructure she set up? And instead of, I feel like on the left, we're focused on more national campaigns. I feel like we should be taking national energy and directing it to a state campaign of some sort. I see. Look, I, I think there are a lot of interesting ways that you could use the momentum of a presidential campaign. I think there's, I can definitely see the arguments for concentrating it on a locality. I can also see the argument that says, well, people from across the country aren't necessarily going to want to continue to invest, you know, in, in a state that isn't theirs necessarily. Um, somebody could say well, we should invest it in a certain issue as opposed to a different state. Um, I, I mean, I think there's lots of ways that it can be done. I'm, I'm not opposed. I'm not opposed to that. Um, but it also does seem to me, you know, maybe there's an argument for, I mean, I mean, I remember when Abdullah Saeed was running to be governor of Michigan all those years ago, back in 2018 with on a Medicare for on a state Medicare for all program. Like that was meaningful because he was running for governor on a policy that meant a lot to folks in the wake of Bernie 2016. And it's like, I, I see that as a project, but I think that this may be a project that the left needs to get behind a good gubernatorial gubernatorial candidate as opposed to it being the kind of offshoot of a presidential campaign. But I'm not, I don't think it's, yeah, I mean, I think, I think that's one of many ideas that could be possibly a good way to use the energy of a post campaign run. I mean, why not? I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe you tell me more about why you like that particular direction as opposed to say focusing on an issue or focusing on um third party ballot access or focusing on campaign well, finance reform you, you know if you if you have the state then you have like if if you control the state or you know legislative body of a state then you, you do have third party ballot access in that state like you know you can do ranked choice voting you can do like the same way that um newsom and um what's his face DeSantis are basically like what they're doing in their state legislatively is basically them campaigning for president, right? Like you could, the left has none of that. You know what I mean? There's no proof of concept like where somebody's just trying to, somebody's passing a bunch of laws just to get elected who's on the left. You know what I mean? Or to do things that are popular to like, you know, popularize ideas and themselves on the left. So you, you, all of these things would be possible to at least show that they can work even though we know that they can work, but to at least show they can work to a broader amount of people if we have at least one home base to fight from, in which right now we have none. We just keep going for the presidential and getting nothing out of it. I mean, sure. Um, I, again, I guess I just, I don't know, what does it mean to take over a state? I mean, I don't know that, I mean, I, I, look, everybody at all times should be trying to take over states. I just don't know. That there's well, a okay, so I, I would say, final point, because I do have mm -hmm. to go too, but I would say that, um, like, what it would mean is probably, like, maybe not Marianne herself, but whatever organization she forms afterwards, like, they, they like, literally, that's their, and they're, like, constantly bringing up issues and contrasts in, within that state, mm -hmm. and, like, having people, like, electing people, 
up and down ballot, right? I mean, putting people up up and down ballot to be elected. And for instance, drawing, running third party, like you have a label, maybe progressive, maybe not. And you define that label such that any and anybody can't. And so you're, you just, you're who will actually get the job done or, you know, some, something like that idea. Look, I think that slates of kind of endorsed candidates and stuff like that are interesting and good, especially when there's so many folks who would call themselves progressive and, you know, not at all be that. Marianne, Marianne has done more than I think most to continue to endorse candidates and try to uplift them and give them a platform. And I got to, I got to point out has been dragged by a lot of the left for doing so. I'm sure everyone remembers the kind of candidate panel that she, I, Crystal, Katie, and some others co-hosted last fall or fall before last, um, where we interviewed a number of candidates and a lot of folks across leftist media was, were like, Oh, how dare you still be invested in electoral politics? Why do you care about these people? Yada, yada, yada. But I think there's some value in, you know, doing the research to figure out who actually is a progressive candidate and who isn't and who we would want to put our money behind. I, I thought that was a value. And I, even if, even if I don't necessarily have as much faith in electoralism as maybe some others, you know, I, I appreciated, I really, I thought it was very mature of Marianne and really good of her to take her time and energy to try to lend her platform to these progressive candidates who like these races are going to happen, whether or not we participate. And do you want to be, you know, do do you want to have a say in these outcomes or or do you not? And so I think that the left being involved is a way for us to also preserve the like quote unquote brand as it will and keep people from running as progressives and polluting and diluting the, the what that even means in a way that hurts us down the line when you have all these cosplayers like Buttigieg getting in the mix. And so I think that's a very good idea. Also, to your state point, like, I think that in some ways, there are states like Mississippi, I never forget when, in 2018, there were two Senate seats up. It was, like, very meaning. It would, be, it would have been very meaningful to the Democrats to be able to access those two seats. Mississippi is one of the lower-cost advertising states that there are. And it was, like, a historically rare, frankly, to have two Senate seats up at once. To win in Mississippi as a Democrat, you would only need 15% of the white vote if you can get the black vote and the DNC spent nothing on either of those races. And the idea of adopting a state like Mississippi, where it's like relatively less costly to win, where there's a lot of ability to appeal to working class, lower income, white voters and black voters alike. It's like ripe for populism um, is, is really great. But the flip side of that is if your issue is going to be something like Medicare for all, I think there would, I have to check someone with more expertise should weigh in, but um it's not every state can support a state-based Medicare for all. But yeah. nationally, we can support it, obviously. But not every state has the resources to, to support a state-based Medicare for all, which is why some folks like Michael Leidy have argued that, oh, California will be the test kitchen or maybe Michigan can handle it, but like maybe not a state like Mississippi. So I like the idea of adopting a state, but there are pros and cons de- depending on what state you, you pick. That's what, the only thing I would say. Yeah. Well, nice talking to you, Bree. I have to go. Same here. Thank you, I and Day. Have a good one. Keep the faith. All right. Let's go to 
Michael. How are you doing, Michael? Can you unmute yourself, Michael? Hi, Brianna. Hey, how are you doing? What's in your mind tonight? Hey, Brianna. Oh, so good to hear from you. Um, long time listener, first time caller. Oh, wonderful. I thought that might be the case. Welcome. <laughs> well, um, I actually have a wildly different topic to uh, bring into the fold, if that's all right. Sure. So I, I was thinking about the last time that you had um, Esperanza Fonseca on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that she's a huge advocate for um, sex work and talking about sex work. And um, uh, I, I was wondering if you at any point were thinking about having her back on and talking about um, the amendment to the Section 230 um, Sorry, kind of nervous. <laughs> oh, no, take your time. You're, you're great. But about Section 230 of, um, you know, the, the thing that provides cover to social media companies. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, because during the Trump administration, uh, there was a law passed called SESTA-FOSTA, mm-hmm. which uh, ended up preventing uh, content creators on uh, sex content creators' websites from promoting any content that was even close to, um, basically it just shadow banned them. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, So I was curious if there was a deeper conversation there and any parallels that you had drawn between SESTA-FOSTA and the recent sort of Twitter files um, debates that were happening with Matt Taibbi and Michael Schellenberger. Um, I don't know that I am so expert at that. My understanding was that the SESTA-FOSTA stuff caught a lot of people up who were like good people and who meant well because of the idea that it was going to stop sex trafficking, but it ended up preventing a lot of folks from advertising sex work in a way that was safer than the alternative. Um, I'm, why don't why don't you say more? It sounds like you have something in mind when you when you're referencing the parallels with the Twitter files. Sure, sure, sure. So I recently was reading and doing a lot of work. Uh, well, not real a lot of work, but listening to a lot of like podcasts and content creators who were banned essentially from all of these platforms whether it was uh, X Hamster, Pornhub, whatever, um, the essentially content creators that were making a living um, through these different content creation websites that were essentially banned uh, following Sista Fosta um, in a number of countries. And it seemed like it was a widespread ban that had no base in like what the spirit of what SESTA-FOSTA was about. It was, uh, it was just a widespread ban. And I was kind of drawing parallels in my head about um, what was going on with uh, Matt Taibbi. 
so, I mean, I mean, I'm just, I'm, I guess I'm struggling a little. Sesta Fosta is a ban on advertising certain kinds of sex work. Matt Taibbi is researching coercion by intelligence agencies to affect Twitter's algorithms and um, um, censorship, for lack of a better word, policies. It seems to me that maybe there's more of a parallel with like the maybe TikTok ban. But I mean, what do you what do you make of the parallel? The point that you would like to make that there that generally speaking, censorship regimes can hurt the left, left inclined people, people who are invested in the ability of sex workers to use the internet to be safer. Than they would be otherwise. I mean, you you tell me what what you think the connection is. Michael, you're muted. Michael, you still here? Michael, you're unmuted, but you're not saying anything. I don't hear you. Okay. All right, Michael. I'm not sure what's going on. I don't know if this is a glitch or what have you, but if you get back in the queue, I'm happy to call you up again. Thank you. Thank you for your your comment. Though I hope you call in again soon. Sylvester, what's on your mind tonight? Baby, <laughs> how are you doing, Sly? Long time. I had to make sure that the number still worked. <laughs> You're such a trick. It has been a while. What have you been up to? Ooh, organizing, organizing, organizing. You love to hear it. What do you got? What do you got going on on the on the West Coast? On the West Coast, we defunding school police. We striking with the SE, SEIU ninety nine workers. Uh, teachers went on. Well, the cafeteria, janitorial teacher, all of them went on strike. They were SEIU. Mm. And then the teachers went on strike in solidarity mm. for thirty percent raises. Mm. Um, I mean, all they and they won too. They won too. That's so, amazing. Caught wind of that. That is amazing. It really does feel like we're having a, a labor moment. What did you make of some of that uh, Howard Schultz testimony today with Bernie? Oh, he's. <laughs> you know what? Billionaires be hella sensitive. <laughs> Mad, I'm like, I don't know if I had a billion dollars, I don't really, I wouldn't really care what people thought, to be honest with you. But you want me trying to get people to call you a uh, person of means, a person of wealth? <laughs> 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 nah, that was the wild thing. I was just having a conversation with somebody, um, because I was talking to them about words, and there's just a, a, a very, there's a huge emphasis on words and saying things the right way. And I almost feel like um, it's been used to suck up energy. Not that we shouldn't be inclusive, but I just feel like it's it's been uh, used to, I, I guess, take energy that could be used towards doing something to put into like, just I don't know, saying the right thing. So people are so caught up with how to say something instead of fixing the thing or addressing it. I don't know if you kind of, I don't know if you feel the same way, but. 
But I'm sorry, you're, you're saying who who's caught up in the in the idea of what to what to call something instead of fixing the problem? I just like so. The, I mean, the specific thing that we were talking about it was a friend of mine. I think she, I think it might have been between like homeless and unhoused, and then like food. We we're talking about food insecurity. I'm like, damn, I feel like we've come up with nicer ways to say things. Mm, I see. Problem. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So like this is I didn't I never even heard of what did you say you said means secured what did you what no did you this is this is not this is not a real thing this is like the billionaire's <laughs> version of some kind of weird <laughs> faux woke speak where he he did you see this back and forth with him and Bernie where he was like it's wrong for you to call me a billionaire and like first of all my my good man you just literally are a billionaire right second of all like I don't this is not like a slur it's not like Bernie called you a a fascist capitalist pig well, like listen, ask, ask Jay-Z man he think he think it's a slur right like it's like <laughs> if Bernie did call you a fascist capitalist pig I might agree with that but like at least yes you would have you would have grounds for pushback like oh that's not factually accurate but my my sir like my good man like literally you are a billionaire and then he went on to this thing where he was like well you're a millionaire so that's the same like no sir like numbers mean something like just having a lot of money like billionaire billionaire you are getting into an unethical realm of money having and you have four billion dollars and then he did this whole thing about how like i grew up in public housing and so I deserve to have all this money and I'm a job creator and you wrote a book and that doesn't create jobs but Starbucks creates jobs and therefore my billion dollars my billions of dollars are like more ethical or something it was it was a whole it was an entire mess yeah these conversations are much too rich for me I don't I don't even know billionaires arguing with million and that was the wild thing too I just really I'm like damn all these elected people be millionaires like yep. all of them and i'm like damn almost not to say because i'm like i don't want to say people are bad people or nothing like that but just like almost maybe like uh uh before you vote for someone make sure they're not a millionaire just so we could just mix it up a little bit <laughs> like get some different <laughs> lifestyle perspectives i mean oh, you I have know. you basically have like no candidates to vote for also by the way a lot of those new squad people were unique insofar as they weren't especially wealthy but I don't know, like, they haven't exactly come through either. And there's an argument that says, like, sometimes these people who have less money are more easily corrupted. Uh, I mean, it's like a lose-lose-lose situation, yeah. honestly. Yeah, because either I got to deal with you being a millionaire or I got to deal with you doing what Jamal Bowman doing, yelling at people. and Man, the, 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 the this is Kabuki Theater. Have what you did you make of that? Let me see if I can pull that clip up. Do you guys know about this Jamal Bowman? Oh my! I'm um, getting getting into it with people over the gun over the uh, Nashville shooting and gun control. Jamal has an extra A in his name, and that makes it very difficult for me to Google him sometimes. How he acts makes me very difficult to just stomach him. Period. I I gave him a sweater like two years ago, like when he first got in. Mm hmm. I have a picture, but I need to take it off my Instagram because that boy. <laughs> Okay, Jamal Bowman, he got into it with this um, Congress member from Tennessee who had the family, the picture of his family posted with all the guns and everyone was talking about that. Here is the, um, here, let me unmute this. Here, here's the clip for people who haven't heard it. I haven't actually listened to it. I've just been seeing it on the timeline.
posted that to his page um it's giving pick me i'm sorry it's giving pick me energy like <laughs> like he, he wants gen z or gen x whatever generation to see him just doing stuff like yelling and being loud like that's doing something like like go organize a protest or something bro like why are you like he knows that's not doing nothing either yeah, I mean, obviously the 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 guy he was talking to, I forget his name. I'm sorry. Uh, also tweeted it and was like thinking it made him look good. And I think that unfortunately, although I obviously don't agree with that man's politics, you know, I just I wish that if if Jamal were going to have a viral moment, he would have said some more substantive things. Like he was saying that he's worked in a school and he did he for 20 years, and that where there's more guns, there's more violence, which is like true but a, you know a little reductive the other guy i think was trying to make a point about how in states with open carry laws it's never there's no difference between how many school shootings there are which i don't know what kind of narrow stat that is and whether or not it's true it very well may be but it would be a nightmare had actually engaged in whatever the other guy was saying so that people who didn't already agree with jamal felt like he was making a point and advancing the conversation instead of just like look whatever you think about republicans who like guns they are not sitting there saying, I don't care. Like intellectually, they're not like morally, they're not saying, oh, I don't care if kids die. Like, I don't care if kids get shot in school. What they're saying is, I don't believe there is a relationship to my ability to lawfully own a gun and somebody unlawfully procuring a gun and killing a kid or lawfully procuring a gun, but having a mental health disorder where they should have been caught up in the red flag law or something and killing a kid. So, I mean, like, that's how you get people talking past each other endlessly. And so I get you when you're saying that this feels like performative and like a pick me moment, because ultimately he's not trying to talk to anybody who he disagrees, who, who, who disagrees with him. You know, I mean, he did the same thing with that other black. I think this is his new thing. 
Like, oh, that goofy Republican it. from the McCarthy the stuff. <laughs> oh, Lord, that was so goofy. I was so embarrassed. I couldn't even really talk about that because I was like, let me not. I don't want to be talking about black people in public. So I'm just not even going to touch this. Like, he wants to be talked about, Bree. He wants to be talked about. That's you know what? Give him what he's asking for. Okay. Sometimes you look out for your people, boy, and they want something. Sometimes, okay, you just got to learn. You just go ahead and just, yeah, I got to get that sweater back that i gave him. <laughs> what kind of sweater did you give him man it had all these black right it had malcolm x on it mlk <laughs> all the all the black things actually did something you feel me <laughs> like the ones who got who got three letter organizations looking at him i gave it to him thinking he was gonna be this when he first got in i'm just ever mm-hmm. since then i gave one to him i gave something to i think uh to Corey too and I'd be sad about that. I'm actually not sad about it no more. But the, the Jamal one is one that definitely, I'm just like, yeah, you you a different type of corny, my guy. Um, I'm going to need that. Look, I, I hope, I think that many of these people, they, they mean well. And they, I'm trying I don't know, to I don't know Sebastian, maybe you need to go work for him. Like, maybe he needs your guidance. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, I, I, I do feel watch, like. Watch him on TikTok and do his TikToks for him. No, I don't think he needs to do his TikToks for him. I think he needs to be like a comms director for him. Man, look, no, they, it's not. That's not where. That's not where it's happening at. Honestly. Develop policy for him. Develop strategy for him. Because I think these people just don't have a clue. But that's, they can't pass nothing though. Like it's not set up. You know, that's. that's they're not going to pass nothing. But they're. They are. Look to the extent that he is using his platform to confront people in Congress and to make the case for this or that. He is not doing a good job of it. Right? Yeah. Like, what would you do? What would you do if you confronted this um, Republican? What is it? This guy from Tennessee, this this Tennessee Congress member in the halls of Congress, um, who I presume opposes some kind of gun legislation that Jamal Bowman is. To, like, this is this is what's messed up. We just listened to that clip, and I have no clue what specifically Jamal Bowman is advocating from a policy <laughs> perspective, and what the other guy is opposed to, and what is actually like before Congress right now. I don't have a clue after all of that hooting and hollering. And he don't really care because he just wanted to be loud. But I mean, that's I mean that's the thing. Like I'll give you an example. Like my organization, uh, the mm-hmm. love we don't see. Um, so we organized alongside LA Students Deserve. That's a student-led organization in 2020 to defund the school police so we can invest in Black futures. Like that's one thing I definitely learned over the last couple of years. Like if you really trying to make some moves or something we look in your backyard because mm-hmm. and it's it's funny though because i mean your podcast i mean your your episode today was about more so like international stuff but mm-hmm. like backyard is really where you can have like the most substantial impact so now we have this black student achievement plan where like black students are getting all this funding and with my organization we're really trying to just like copy and paste what the panthers were doing with the liberation schools and we're getting into the schools and through the schools, we have access to thousands of families. We're like, we're able to do political education. We're doing, we're talking with classism with the kids and everything. And just like, just raising the consciousness because the thing is like when you approach, a lot of times like folks are real isolated. So if they're feeling an issue, you just, you kind of show up by yourself. You might show up with five people. So with the Jamal Bowman thing, I wouldn't even think about this one person. He's one man. Like, why am I arguing? one person instead of talking to a bunch of people who are going through a lot of things that i'm probably going through too and where now come with some numbers now they're gonna listen to you versus you doing this theater thing where you just have a shadow match with someone because you want to post it and get 
like likes on Twitter. Mm-hmm. So that's why I wouldn't, man, it, none, I wouldn't even waste my time with Jamal or any of these people because that's not where change is. You're not going to legislate your way out of whatever we're dealing with right now. You're not going to legislate your way out of it. Like right now, you re, we really got to talk with people um, at the end of the day. And that's, that, and that's my opinion. And that's what I've been doing. Um, it's a long-term strategy for sure. Like, and it's sometimes it's frustrating because it's like, damn, you you see people going through it right now, people dying right now, people mm-hmm. homeless right now, but it's not gonna happen overnight. And the movement work been so set back that I mean you gotta start somewhere. And that was actually gonna be my question for you tonight. Was <laughs> it actually got sparked off by um your back and forth with homegirl? Uh, what you know you little Gen Z, little little TikTok abortion raising. She raised oh, all the um, you know the woman, the woman who decided to, who's not into Marianne. That oh, one? man, she been going hard on Marianne lately. I'm like, the, the what is her name? Olivia. Yeah, um, the way people be going in on Marianne, it's almost like y'all make me wanna like like her more because i'm like this don't even seem like real like y'all really that's what like i'm saying this is what i've been saying like i'm not even like people are like brianna you're like going so hard for marianne i'm like honestly no but like when the view says the crazy stuff about her when like people are just out here just saying irrational crazy stuff it makes me want to like hop like, in like that's not even true what you're saying yeah and then she and and, and so how i wanted to kind of tie it back to because in in the in the podcast in your uh your interview um, when you was talking to a homie, you was talking about how there's not really a lot of like leftist voices really speaking out against the war, and then really the only one you was kind of kind of upped with like Ro Khanna, but even Ro Khanna, he be doing a whole bunch of funny stuff too. So it's just mm-hmm. like there's not really those voices on there. So the thing that was sad because I had so much hope for like I'm seeing these Gen Z. Is it Gen Z or Gen X? <laughs> I be forgetting. I know you had a couple of Gen Z, which is like okay. weirdly the most Gen X thing a person could say. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm just I try to keep up with the letters. I, someone told me why the other day. I'm like, okay, just let me know when we're done with the alphabet. So so Gen Z, so it's Gen Z. I was really hopeful when I started seeing a lot of the stuff that they was doing. And then the White House invitations mm-hmm. started started leaking out. Started seeing mm-hmm. the pictures of Biden and 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 uh, Dr. Jill. I started seeing it, and mm-hmm. then I feel like the messaging started changing a little bit. It seemed like it was a lot of co-signing on it. She talking about this the most progressive president that we have ever had, and I'm like, wow. Do she not know that the most people incarcerated on this planet live right here? And this this the dude who orchestrated. He was the architect of all of that. And I'm just like, and yeah. this ties to your conversation um, with the not really having left voices and stuff. I just feel like the co-optation level is at an all-time high. I feel like back in the day, you let me know what you think about it. Like, it was easier to see something for what it is or what it was. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think one of the more pernicious aspects of the kind of identity politics world like the weaponized identity politics the identity to the exclusion of everything else world is how much it dulled people's critical thinking skills 
so that we just blindly, so many people just blindly are like, oh, this person's young. Oh, it's the first Gen Z congressperson. Oh, this this person cares about one issue that I also care about, and therefore they must be good on everything. Um, you know, this person's a woman. This person's gay. This person's black. This, you know, like it for so many years. I mean, I I also thought that way. So I'm not saying this as an indictment. Like I I had to have this wake up call on my own for so many years. I like I remember getting my like um, ballot for voting for like the Harvard Board of Overseers or whatever they send to you, and I would just glance at it and just like check. All of the like women and people of color. Oh, okay. <laughs> like, I was just like person of color, woman. That's how I <laughs> so I'm like, all these men, they done messed up. We here because of them. So I'm gonna just do the opposite. Right? Like I'm not googling this. Like I don't freaking care who's on the right. Harvard board and overseers, right? But like to the extent that I have the opportunity to like check, 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 I'm just gonna check that and send it check, back check, in the check. mail. So like I, I'm not like I'm not like trying to criticize anybody, but for years like that was all we had. For years, like, I didn't even have a sense of progressive politics separate and apart from, like, liberal politics. And for years, like, that was what it was. But what it, what has happened is, I mean, like, look, if you if you listen to a, the podcast or read Ryan Grimm's story about Maxwell Frost, it's heartbreaking. And it's heartbreaking not just because, oh, okay, he's a he's young, I, um, you know, he's a young man of color, first Gen Z, blah, blah, blah. And, and he has like kind of bent the knee to the Israel lobby. It's heartbreaking because I think he genuinely, like he was genuinely supportive of Palestinian rights, but felt like he could not win unless he bent the knee. And so it's not just that identity politics is being used to cover up his real ideology. It's that his real ideology actually did correspond with his identity, but it just got obliterated because of the nature of the lobby, of the, of the machine yeah. politics. And so you you just cannot trust any of that anymore. But like we have generations of folks who have never had to think about what it means, like what they actually believe in and what they actually support outside of simply picking the most colorful person in the room. And that's <laughs> going to be hard to train people out of. It's tough. And that's, that's, that's where that, that long-term, that long-term. And then the thing is too, like, I think things are happening, happening. A lot of things are happening at the same time. Like, I think that we're definitely on this this late stage capitalism train and mm-hmm. things are just progressively getting worse. And, you know, when things get worse, people start looking for answers. They start looking for something, a home, something to believe in, something to get them out of what we're going through right now. And like at the same time, I think it's important to also lay that groundwork in terms of just like connecting the dots. Because the thing is, everybody, I think they're just like a... a um, the consciousness level, like people realize this is messed up. Some, some not right. Some, some's in the water, but it's more so just like connecting the dots. And that's why I feel like things are so almost, I don't want to almost sometimes I want to say like worse than before in certain ways, because even though like, I know like, you know, folks dealt with things like, you know, straight up, at least it was straight up and you knew it was coming at you. But like now I just feel like it's coming at you from so many different angles and there's so many different props and identities that people can put up and uh, represent, quote unquote, representation that's supposed to be uh, supposed to be like advancement for the masses when it's really just advancement for individuals like mm-hmm. it's sick. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just like, you know. 
it's 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 tough on where to start but i i just i would just say start with start starting your back i know like we say that a lot but really starting your back and really in these schools because that's really how like when you can connect with not only people's children so like one of the people the kids that are coming up the next generation they're gonna have their heads on straight on that end and then also too just in terms of connecting with um you know parents because again if you can show that you're invested in what they care about the most. Now, when you bring something to them that they should care about, hey, listen, you this the count, city council about to pass this. This is something that, boom, are you wondering why groceries are so much or why rent so much and all these things? Now you can help connect the dots and you have trust built because you done already showed them that. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, I have a good friend who's a teacher and the things I hear about these kids, like in some ways the kids are all right and their politics are good and their instincts are good and all of that. But in some other ways, they are very firmly in the uh, reasoning by identity kind of only, you know, these white men, da 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 Like, I mean, like, yes, yeah, like, white men be problematic, but like, come on, it has to be, but more than that. Yeah. <laughs> like, I need... And, and, and so I, I don't know, I feel two ways about it. And given like the, the conservatives have done a very good job making everybody very nervous about doing ideology in school. And, you know, we're on the back foot. People are on the back foot. Mm-hmm. Even like good progressive teachers are on the back foot because a good progressive teacher might still not want to do ideology because they don't want to. They would. They'll want to come up against one of these Florida-style bands on doing all the ideology. Yeah. They just don't want to mix it with parents. Maybe they're white and don't like. You know, there there's a class argument to be made, but some kids of color are like, "This is a racism," and are we going to read a bluest eye? And this is white supremacy. And like, there's just a lot. There's just like everything. It's 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 tough. No, you're right. And you know, people are so sensitive about the kids. Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, you're right. No, I mean, I guess like definitely like in a traditional teaching sense. Yeah, that would be that'd be kind of tough. Like I was telling somebody about like what we're doing with the Black Student Achievement Plan um, in LAUSD, which is what the second biggest school district um, mm-hmm. in the in the country. I mean, I couldn't do what I'm doing. I mean, through my nonprofit, I couldn't do what I'm doing with the kids in Florida. Mm-hmm. for sure so it's it's like it, it, it yeah it is like you know different um depending on where you're at mm-hmm. um but i don't that's a strategy that like i don't know it's working on this end you know like i said i love showing up on these callings i ain't even been able to show i i, I catch the replay i catch the replay and i hear different things but then i've been so caught up with that that it's been keeping me away from other things so it's been, and then there's been gains, there's been wins, like, you know, like, they're getting cops out of schools, you know, mm-hmm. like, um, uh, they're putting money into the children and in the families and building more community schools, and I just, I don't know, I just, I, I love what we got going on in LA, um, I'd love you to even talk to some of the folks who have been leading that work in LA. Just- I would love to, I was going to ask you if there's somebody I should be talking to. Oh, yeah. Because yeah, I know but, you recommended your friend, and she was like a little gun shy and didn't want to come on. Oh, that's Cerise Castle. Okay, yeah, that was with the deputy gangs. But then uh, my brother Joseph Williams, who's the director of LA Students Deserve, who like, and they led that that twenty five million cut for the police to put into blacks. That would be a solid person. I can I can definitely connect y'all. 
Okay, I'd, lo- I'd love that. So, I mean, you let me know what's the best medium because I don't know. Sometimes you don't be checking things. So I'm like, I know. Hey, you know I- me. My anxiety management is to pretend that I don't have an inbox. <laughs> and there's, there's pros and cons to that. I'll just be ghosting on people because people I like. If, if you're listening to, listen to this, Katie, I'm sorry. I just ghosted on everybody for like two weeks and just popped up today like, hey, Katie, what's up? How you been? Like you ain't never left. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's not personal. I just want everybody who's been ghosted to know that um, I ghosted everybody. And I yeah, am no, sorry. But on, on the little drop-ins I have, like every time I call, I, every time I check in the call and I feel like you on a date or something like that, I'm like, okay, love life bubbling a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was out with a family friend tonight. Okay, family friend. Family friend. <laughs> you know, but I always, you know, I'm always, you know, putting good energy out there for that. <laughs> I'll hit you on the IG with that. I'll let you go ahead, and you've been on these like the last, the first two calls for way too long. So I'll let you go ahead and do that. I know, and I started late, and I'm not going to go for much more than an hour tonight. So I should, I should get through. But I, I always enjoy talking to you, Sylvester. Always, I'll hit you on IG. Okay. Okay, please do. All right, All right. keep the faith, my friend. All right, Jonathan. Jonathan, what's on your mind tonight? Long time no talk. I know, I know. How have you been? Uh, I've been, I've been keeping busy. Uh, we have a Retsner Association golf tournament today. Uh, Ooh, but fun. I, yeah, I wanted to talk about uh, you know rising, which was uh, by the way, absolutely awesome yesterday. But I got a rare chastisement because this morning you did not give us a heads up. I was expecting to see my favorite in that co-host chair uh, giving us a second radar. Will it be better than yesterday's spectacular spectacular one? I'm skeptical, but I'm open. And I turn it on, and I see Batya in that chair with her high squeaky voice, and I heard the violins from the shower scene in Psycho, and I screamed, and I closed the window, and I curled up in the fetal position in the corner. Jonathan! <laughs> Stop. Okay, so first of all, last week they tricked me. Last week they needed me to do Monday, and they tricked me into doing four days. And it it's completely thrown on my schedule. I still haven't gotten back on track. My hair remains unwashed. And I was like, this week, if you need me to do Monday, I will not be doing Thursday. I'm only doing three days a week, no matter what arrangement. So they, Batia wasn't able to do Monday, so I did Monday. But then she, yes, did today. I'm sorry it did not warn the viewing public. <laughs> but I'm sure they got to some good stuff today. What did they talk about today? Let me go over there. I haven't I, even looked. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't. I didn't look. But uh, yesterday's was worth a whole week's worth. Just the uh, <laughs> the collection. Firstly, I felt I felt seen when you were talking about how your audience doesn't want to hear about Trump, and that's also why I've largely stayed away from calling today because I don't want to hear about Trump. I don't want to talk about Trump. I don't think. This Yo, I've been so out of it today. I didn't even know there was an indictment until dinner. <laughs> It's, it, it doesn't. That's because it doesn't matter. It's a slap on the wrist infraction. It's you know like they're trying to do this whole ridiculous Al Capone thing. If they're gonna indict him for the emoluments violations that he nakedly did in public view, or uh, you know maybe the illegal assassination of of uh, Qasem Soleimani, Kasem mm-hmm. so, um, yeah, Soleimani, like Soleimani. okay, mm-hmm. call me that. Other than that, you know you're wasting time. But, you know, there is, like, you know, meanwhile, um, you know, the, uh, like, the segments, you know, there's a collection of segments you kind of did that kind of touched on the theme of your radar. 
which I just, I thought was awesome, including the, you know, the Bernie hearing thing, you know, the guy was over there. I thought you touched on the points very nicely. Um, he was over there complaining and whining about being called a billionaire, talking about how he was a self-made man. Firstly, he made that money on the backs and on the labor and on the value created by the people that worked under him. Mm-hmm. And he is in that hearing because he was denying them their basic rights under the law, much less, you know, he wasn't even letting them have their basic rights, much less a fair share of the value they created. And it was just like the chutzpah is just, it was to me, it was comedy gold, but the idea that there's people out there that can watch that and think that he did a good job in responding to that. I, just blows my mind. Yeah, that was the segment that I accidentally cussed a little bit. <laughs> no, that was great. I think I accidentally perfect. said dead ass. Dead ass serious. <laughs> yes, and he was. That was an accurate statement, and I think nobody nobody was mad about it. Yeah, my bad. Uh, <laughs> but what's so funny, okay, here's a couple of funny things. I'm looking at it now. That segment was, I believe, the lowest viewed segment of the day, because these people... Like, like qualitatively, the comments are very supportive, but like the Hill audience does not click on Bernie fights for labor rights. You know, they don't, they don't care. And part of well, it is not their fault. Like, I think Crystal has once, I, I was just talking to Crystal once and she was saying that like there were topics that her audience weren't, what like wasn't that into, but over time, like informing them about why what the stakes were and why it matters she like taught the audience why they should care about some of these like labor issues and things like that and so you know i think that that is possible to help people to help people want to click on stuff like that because again the comments are very positive but you know people people are not people don't want to hear about trump people don't want to hear criticism of trump and people also don't want to hear the rising audience loves if we talk about covid Liberals are wrong about COVID is a topic that is very popular. Also, uh, anything to do with the Twitter files, Schellenberger, very popular. They also surprisingly were really into the Israel protest, Netanyahu story, which kind of shocked me. They were also into your Israel radar a while ago. The one that I said was maybe one of the best ones you've ever done. I think it was right after the post Katie one happened. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you mentioned Katie earlier. Are you about to do some awesome content with her again? I always want to, but you know, Katie Hopper is the hardest working woman on the left, and she's got a lot of irons in the fire. Yeah, got a got a tight schedule. Uh, we were hoping to get her on our call-in show one of these days, but uh, yeah, we'll we'll keep following up on that. But we know we know she keeps busy, and we encourage her to keep busy because uh, we we also enjoy that content. But there was one other thing I wanted to ask. It's kind of a weird. Uh, request, uh, I guess, but um, you know, I don't want to take up too much time because there's a bunch of people in the queue. Um, it was uh, in Reason Magazine, Robbie's Magazine. This guy that was his books editor uh, did a fabulous write-up of a uh, of a convention on uh, you know the psychology of conspiracy theories psychology, sociology, so on and so forth, including the authors of several books I've read that I appreciate. And they had a lot of, uh, I think, very important, very informative takes. Uh, And, you know, his write-up was really, really good. And I was hoping that you or Robbie 
could, uh, you know, seems like a thing Robbie should do since he's one of the editors of that magazine. Mm. Maybe put it in the Slack to suggest it as a rising topic to maybe have him on to talk about it. Just because, like, firstly, it completely turns upside down a lot of the narratives about, you know, uh, people who entertain conspiracy theories or think they're possible or so on and so forth. And one of the groups of people that was conspicuously noted by the author as absent from that convention were the people in the disinformation space who are shouting the loudest about conspiracy theorists. Is this this Jesse Walker piece called this just in conspiracy theorists, not quite as kooky as previously. That's it. It was like, I I would love to see him on a segment, you know, maybe even just a short one uh, where you guys talk to him about that write up in that conference and what he took from it. Because like, I thought he did like being familiar with a lot of the research that's being presented there. Uh, I thought he did an excellent, excellent write-up there. And, okay, you know, that sounds frankly, interesting. Uh, yeah. I love that stuff. I think it was maybe Monday, maybe it was Tuesday, that we it was like a really light news day, and we ended up doing a lot of kind of cultural topics, and it was a really pleasant day on set because there was very little for, our, for Robbie and I to argue about. <laughs> and I said, look, if, if this day does well, we should just always do cultural, uh, cultural content and just kind of pivot into being the view. And so <laughs> if, the, the, if this topic helps us uh, to get some more of these nice, easy topics that Robbie and I don't have to be at each other's throats about, I'm, I'm happy to, I'm happy to discuss. Yeah, that's a, and that's, that's just a, a fine one. I tagged Robbie in a, in a tweet about it, but I don't think he saw it. He doesn't follow me. He follows me in liberal tears, but uh, I may have him retweeted as well, but I, I hope you guys will put that in a little slack as a suggestion and, uh, hopefully, uh, maybe sometime in the near future, we'll see it as a segment. Okay, I'm doing it right now. I'm putting it in rising planning slack. Awesome. You're my hero. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Jonathan. Right back at you. Keep the faith. You too. Have a good night. You too. All right, I'm going to go to Ruben in the back because I saw that he was in the queue during the last call-in, and I wasn't able to get to him, and he looks like maybe a first-time caller. So what's in your mind tonight, Ruben? Um... Hello, Brianna Sava. I don't think I'm a first-time caller. I think I called this like my third time. Oh, okay, then perfect. Wonderful. What's in your mind tonight? So um, I've heard Monday's um, call-in, and you said like you were like somewhat challenging on your faith, and you feel up and down, and I, and I wanted to say keep definitely keep your faith up. Um, <sighs> little words of encouragement, which this is going to tie – very nicely with Marianne and uh, Bobby Kennedy Jr., who is thinking of running. Mm. Um, so my analysis, because, like, when I first called, I had my skepticism with Marianne because, like, she's all with spirituality. But the more I've researched her, I think she's more of a religious person because I study religion. Um, and um, when, like, my theory was before she ever, like, put her hat on the race, I was like, if she ever does. Um, I, I kind of saw the Democratic Party doing two things, welcoming her or vilifying her, but using something like ne- like dear to her. And I was like, they better not use religion. And for some reason, obviously, they did not welcome her. And for some reason, they're using her spirituality as a form of like mockery and be like, and they're berating her. Mm-hmm. And this was interesting because like, I think um, I think now, like, with the Democratic Party using spirituality, which I see as more as a religious thing, 
the Democratic Party is like using religion to like berate a woman and and Marianne Williamson is it's, it's in this like old archaic power dynamic where religion has always been um, subjugating women and or oppressing women um, well a, a religious institution and I was just so dumbstruck about it and um, now that Robert F. Kennedy is um, I think he was in New Hampshire and I think he's also going to Iowa to to speak he is um he's in his like catholic um religious identity to see if he can bring something into the democratic party and i'm like it'll be interesting if like both these two people have a spot on on the debate stage and debate joe biden on like how he's going um you know against the pope because the current pope he's against the against this war and it's just a like something fascinating is is happening with like in terms of religion. So like, how do you see it? Uh, so I've been thinking a little bit about religion lately, as um, some conservatives have been making this argument that you know liberals have a war on religion, a war on spirituality, a war on families. Like, there's a lot of this. Um, we've seen a lot of this in the wake of the Nashville school shooting, mm-hmm. it being a religious school, of course, the, the post Blair's uh, transgender program against Christianity or however they framed it. Um, and it's been interesting to me because I saw some somebody on Twitter pointed out, you know, when Dylan Roof shot up the Charleston church, it wasn't framed as an attack on religion. Yeah. And I've been thinking about the role that, you know, race plays. I've been thinking about how most people in America identify as religious, most yeah. overwhelmingly so. You know, I think like 90% are upwards. And um, how odd it is that we behave politically as though conservatives are religious and Democrats aren't, when everybody overwhelmingly is religious. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, and why? how that is able to happen. And it... You know, it is the case that part of how that's able to happen is that culturally, liberals and the left feel like it is not appropriate to form religion in their political lives in the same way that Republicans do. So the perception is, of course, then that if you want spirituality, if you prioritize spirituality, you should be on the right. And that is, frankly, something that I've seen as a real potential strength for Marianne, depending on how she uses it. Because right Mm -hmm. now, I think it's easier for people to lambast her because they're not characterizing her beliefs as religious. They're characterizing it as a kind of like a spiritual mumbo jumbo that's like astrology and crystals and things like that. And of course, while it's rude to insult someone's religion, it's not rude to insult whatever you want to call you know, dream catchers and crystals or however else to characterize, characterize mm-hmm. her. Right. And so, you know, how do you, how do you present yourself as something spiritual that is legitimate in the public sphere? And that captures what I think is a really strong and legitimate and widely felt desire to have some kind of moral guiding principles that are a part of politics and not just separate from it. How do you, be spiritual in a way that connects with people without coming off as superficially spiritual in a way that can get care, um, you know, um, lambasted and criticized in the press. Mm -hmm. That's a difficult, that's a difficult kind of dance, but I definitely do see it as an opportunity for Marianne. 
Um, and I do think that they're very much, even Bernie, as secular as he was, there was a way that he talked about the human rights discourse was, I felt, very spiritual. Religion. It was moral. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was explicitly moral. It was when you say healthcare is a human right or housing is a human right, what you're saying is that there's an intrinsic entitlement that comes from being a human being, that comes from something other than the law, that's higher than the law. And that something, whatever you want to call it, the belief in the dignity of human beings, the inherent value of humanity, secular humanism, religiosity, it's something that's above the law that feels spiritual. It can't be explained. It's not rational. It's just a belief. And I think yeah. people really responded to that. Yeah. So I think there's ways to tap into that that aren't like God told me this, you know, or you know, my Catholic God or the Pope or Buddha or whatever told told me this. Yeah. Whenever. I mean, how do how do you feel? I mean, are you do 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 you see that as a potential area of appeal, or does it frighten you? Does it make you nervous about what could happen to her down the line? Um, well, I'm a conservative, but I do support her because, like, a lot of people just keep hating on her. I'm like, you know what? I want to support her. I'm not going to vote for her, but, like, I want to have her on, up up on the Democratic Party stage or, or an independent stage or something. Mm-hmm. Um, that way we have, you know, what democracy is. Have a crap ton of people there. Um, obviously, because uh, since I used to be a Republican, obviously, our, 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 my former side is stupid on that end but um and i feel that if both marianne and bobby kennedy jr are in that state mm-hmm. they have to hold that discussion of religion and use the example well if the pope said if the current pope is anti-war why joe biden why do you keep supporting the war and and have that as like a main fixture to counterattack Joe Biden in that sense, and to um, I, I um, and to just bring some form of religious belief back into the pro secular left, um, in a healthy way. Um, and um, I on Monday you had um, a German caller. I forgot his name. He did mm-hmm. bring up an example on, on how the left during the Cold War, specifically when the Berlin Wall fell, they used Protestant priests as an example of having faith to, to like bring down this fucking wall. Mm-hmm. Um, and also Martin Luther King Jr., he uses religion to literally counterattack racism. And like religion has is also benefit to to the left. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I don't know, I just want the like people to see like religion is something greater than the institutional portion that obviously oppresses people oppresses women queer people and i know i think um, i think his name is lysol um Mm. he mentioned um a a church in san francisco where they have um, queer nuns um and i just i'm hopeful even though everything is going amok i'm hopeful because i believe in religion and i have my faith and um um, and you did bring up the example of like Tucker Carlson. He's 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 fucking stupid, obviously, um, because the rights analysis is like, oh, the transgender people are um, who are obviously anti-religious, which they're not. But in his mm-hmm. point of view, transgenders are anti-religious because for some reason, and then it makes sense to categorize 
this person as this is the reason why transgender should be eradicated, which is fucking stupid because there are transgender people in in churches. Of um, so like I just I still have hope. Like that's why, you know, when you called me, I'm like, I, I, I just keep just keep your faith. But I just want if both Marianne and Bobby Kennedy Jr. are up in that stage with Joe Biden to use that example. If the Pope, our current Pope is anti-war, why aren't you? And then have like, just ha like have those two people come in to the left and to the right of him to use religion and to see how, you know, how Joe Biden in the eyes of religious people is also a hypocrite. Yeah, this is so interesting. I haven't been following whatever hints that, um, Bobby Kennedy is going to run. Junior is going to run. I'm going to have to look into that more closely. I, I'm really, I'm very intrigued by the idea because, you know, Biden has flirted with kind of foregrounding his Catholicism at different points in different ways. And it would be really interesting to see someone who had the kind of grounding to challenge him more squarely and what the moral implications of being Catholic are and why he isn't as a Catholic um, at least as anti-war as the Pope. So I, I really yeah. actually like that. And I'm going to have to pay more attention to what's going on with um, old uh, RFK Jr. Yes. And um, and before I go, um, like I said, um, keep up the faith or else like, um, um, so like a little fu um, funny tea for everyone. Um, I'm not sure if y'all know who Selena Gomez is, but um, her little... Um, Lawyer, loyal stands are like behind my back because I said something good about healthcare. That's a whole different subject because I woke up um, yesterday morning with Instagram like blowing up because um, a lot of her followers didn't like it when I said stupid and effing when she didn't cover um, healthcare when she was talking to Joe Biden. And mm. Wait, she, she sat down recently with Joe Biden for an interview? No, um, this was like, I think months or a year ago. Um, mm -hmm. I just saw it because I like, because, you know, I just want people to have health care. Mm -hmm. And I was like, hey, Selena Gomez, ask Selena Gomez, it is stupid of you not to choose to bring up the discussion about Obamacare or any other forms of health care. Because they were talking mm -hmm. in this clip, they were talking about their feelings of mental health and how to destigmatize, which obviously I do agree. Um, mm -hmm. But they, there wasn't a substantive issue. And since she was talking to Joe Biden, who was across from her, whom we know Obamacare passed under also Joe Biden was there. I was mm -hmm. just so like dumbstruck when no one brought up or even her, she didn't bring up, Hey, um, how about the cost of health insurance? Um, if people have Obamacare, what can we do to bring down the cost or make it more affordable? But no discussion. It was all about feelings. And then I mm. commented saying, hey, Selena, it was stupid of you not to highlight effing health insurance. And I put effing as E-F-F-I-N-G. And for mm -hmm. some reason, her little fans, her, her stands, contacted or like flagged. And Instagram had to contact me saying, hey, look at this comment. Do you want to keep it or delete it? And I was like... Why did why is it getting so much heat? Because I was here saying, hey, healthcare, you, you guys didn't talk about it. Because um, mm. Mitchell does healthcare, and for some mm -hmm. reason, like one of her fans commented and saying, hey, if you have a problem, reserve your anger inwards, and this is the fault of government. And I was like, oh, okay, um, so I should reserve my anger inwards. 
which is kind of odd because I'm talking about health insurance. Wait, I mean, health insurance. it's the fault of government, but isn't it the whole point that she's talking to the head of our government? Exactly. And this is where her stands don't understand. So I'm like, and pop culture wise, I'm kind of do sympathize with like Haley Bieber because she's because like the amount of like Selena stands literally coming after me because I said something about healthcare. I'm like, you you, you stupidly ignored healthcare. Why? And for some reason, well, look, her th- look, th- there's a <laughs> lot that's going on with like stand culture overlaid across all yeah. of this. And there, we all know that there's all this stuff that's going on with Selena and Haley and then <laughs> the woman she gave the kidney or she got the kidney from. And did she treat her well enough? And like people are sympathetic to Selena because of her health issues for reasons I understand. And being a Disney star, like there's just a lot of layers of stuff going on with like I understand why people might feel defensive and protective of Selena Gomez. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I think that you are right to want celebrities to use those opportunities to ask the question that journalists don't often question when they get access to public figures like Joe, uh, like Joe Biden. So yeah. like I, I, I hear you on that. And, you know, I wish that everybody, you know, I wish that politicians got so much pushback from folks that they stopped doing celebrity interviews. I would love to see where Cardi B calls out Joe Biden. I would love to see where with Selena and all of them call out Joe Biden and then these other figures so much that they basically just stop doing <laughs> these interviews because it's too much risk. But that might be a little exactly. bit too much to to hope for, but exactly. I hear you. That I get why that's frustrating. And look, there's a whole there's a whole show out right now called Swarm about how fandom culture can be toxic to the point of death. Exactly, <laughs> right? exactly. So just a just a warning: if anyone wants to come after Selena Gomez, their stance are going to come after you hardcore. So and that's little little alert for every, for anyone that just wants to say something about Selena Gomez. Yeah, Selena, didn't she just have the most liked Instagram pic in the history of pics? It, it surpassed that one, um, the Kardashian girl's baby bump photo that was the previous number one, um, Kylie's baby bump photo. Ask me why I know this. I'm a little ashamed of myself. <laughs> I, I don't know. I just saw a video about mental health and no one discussed healthcare, and for some reason... The Selena stands were behind my ass for like a whole entire day. And I was like, hey, good, bad press is good press. I'm going to use that, that, that language. And I, be, and I felt like, you know, I was a little bit of a star for like a couple of seconds. So, but it was just so weird. I was like, healthcare, insurance, come on. And everyone like literally ragged me through the coals. And I'm like, I bet you majority of her fucking stands do not have health insurance. And yeah. that pissed me off a lot more. <laughs> well, look, keep fighting the good fight. Maybe we can get in there. Maybe we can get an audience with Selena and figure out how we can get her to be the one. Because if she says it, then her stands are going to be behind her, right? So, yeah. look, I, I appreciate you fighting the good fight and the mention to the Selena Gomez video posts, <laughs> Ruben. <laughs> yes. Like, and also, y'all can use that as rising for, like, you know, like a future discussion about, like, how stand culture is becoming so off that they even go uh, like against their morals, like something about healthcare. That'd be so funny if y'all do that. I think that could be fun. I'll I'll see if Robbie will watch Swarm and then we can have a a conversation about it. For sure. Um, Anyways, keep the faith, Brianna, please keep the faith. Thank you, Ruben. You too. Thanks for calling in. I really appreciate hearing your perspective. No problem. All right. Now I'm going to, Ruben said feelings that put me in the mind of this baby face jam. So I'm going to play us out with this. I think 1992 classic, 
And it's midnight and it's, we started late. So I'm going to get us out of here, but I will see you on Monday. Have a great weekend. And as always, keep the faith. We fell in love. And who could blame us? The world was we were just beside ourselves. And everybody said it wouldn't last. Now they wonder why we didn't last. We fell in love. It seemed so righteous. Couldn't compare our love to no one else. And everybody thought we could not win. It's no wonder love came to an end. And our feelings just aren't feelings anymore. They're just the words that come from whispers from people we don't know.